the rocks that are still in the river. So I'm going to read to you. If you get to Joshua chapter 4, I'll join you there. Starting with verse 4. Look at Joshua. And the Bible says, Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And verse 8 says, And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones in the midst from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down. And the verse that we want to talk about tonight is found here. Verse 9, Then Joshua, says, Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there to this day. You ever read that? I know you have. You're a good Southern Baptist. Billy's nodding his head. He's read it. We've read this. What does that mean? The rocks that are still in the Jordan. Now, I thought we had the rocks that we took out. And he got the 12 guys, one from every tribe. And I can just imagine... They got the big guys because they wanted to pick up the biggest rock. Those Hebrews, those sneaky Hebrews, they probably wanted to pick up the biggest rock. Their tribe wanted to get the biggest rock. I can only imagine the competition. And they picked the 12 men from each tribe, big, strong, burly guys, and they picked up the biggest rock that they could handle. And they grunted, and they carried, and they got it over to the other side. Can you see this in your mind? That's how it happened. They didn't pick up some little girly mine rock. Some little pocket rock. They picked a great big boulder up, as big as they could handle. And then the Bible says in verse 9 that Joshua himself got 12 rocks from the other side. And he took them and put them in the midst of the Jordan. What was that about? What was that? That's what I thought you'd say. We need to go back and talk about the goats again, I believe. No more on goats. A couple of thoughts as we, as we move into this subject and develop it. I want you to understand that we're 40 years past this generation of people who had gone through the sea. 
And Moses had opened up the sea, and the children of Israel had gone through. They went straight away to the mountain and received the law. From there they went on to cross the Jordan. And you remember what happened at Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea. God said, cross over. They sent spies. How many spies did they send? Twelve spies. How many came back with a bad report? Ten. Two came back with a good report. Joshua and his buddy Caleb. Caleb came back with a good report. Forty years had passed. That whole generation had died in the wilderness. It was a continual funeral procession. You get that? It was a continual 40-year funeral procession. And yet the Bible says that God was with them in that the leather of their shoes didn't wear out. They were fed by manna. There was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The whole 40 years. When they wanted meat, he brought them quail. So even in that situation, God was with them in their disobedience. Is that right? That's where we are. Just a couple of reflections for you. At the Red Sea, God used the arm of a righteous man holding a staff to open up the sea. At the Jordan River, he used the feet of the priests. At the Red Sea, it was an arm. At the river, it was a foot. When the priest stepped into the water, that's when the water drew back. At the Red Sea, their enemies were behind them. But at the Jordan River, where were their enemies? Ahead of them. Ahead of them. A lot of people get this wrong. A lot of people equate the crossing of the Jordan to going on to heaven. When we cross the Jordan, when we finally cross the Jordan, there's, there's music about this. It's pretty music. But doctrinally, when God freed Moses and the children of Israel from Pharaoh, who was a type of Satan, he freed them through the blood of a lamb. And they left Egypt. They left their bondage. They left their slave master. And they went through the Red Sea, which is a type of baptism. It's a type of baptism. And they came out on the other side. They received the law. They went to Jordan. If they had crossed the Jordan, they would have crossed over into the promised land. Isn't that right? The promised land. But that's not equivalent to going to heaven. Folks, what that really is, is living an abundant Christian life, walking in this world. Because if it were heaven, they wouldn't have had to fight for it. There's no more battles in heaven. But here there are battles. They had to fight. So let's get the right perspective on this. This is not dying and going to heaven when you cross the Jordan. I'll tell you what it is. But we've got to talk about the rocks and the river first. Let's talk about that. First thing I want to say about those stones that are still in the Jordan to this day, 
is that in Jesus' time, you could still, they still knew where they were. Because John was a baptizing at the Jordan, at the place where the stones were. Go back and look. It's the same place. They all knew where it was. And the Jordan is a different kind of river, and it's in no means, I've never been to it, but I've read some, what it used to be. There are dams on the Jordan that divert some of the water. They control it, some in the flood stage. But even today, in flood, it's a lot bigger. And so the Bible tells us when Joshua crossed, it was in flood stage. And it dried up. And they went across on dry ground. The priest going in first. Joshua putting the stones around the priest at the end. And then the priest coming out. And then the, the waters that were held back were released. I want to say the first thing about the stones that are in the river are the same thing as the stones that are out of the river. The 12 stones the big men carried across and ultimately set up in a place called Gilgal. And they set a monument up there in Gilgal. And Joshua said, when your kids ask you, Daddy, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them that's where God dried the river up and the ark of the Lord crossed over in dry ground. And it was a monument. Those stones out on Gilgal were monuments. George is going to tell you tonight that the stones down in the Jordan, in the midst where the priest stood, were also a monument. It was a hidden monument. Not only does God have outward, visible monuments that are open to everyone to see, but He has hidden monuments in your heart for only you to see. Okay? If you can get that, what is a monument? This monument was physical. It had a physical side to it, a physical reality. And I would equate it to something like this in the Old Testament. During Abram's time, Abraham's time, he was an altar builder. Wherever Abraham went, he built an altar. He didn't build an altar down in Egypt. He wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. He went down there outside of faith. And he came home with a lot of things he shouldn't have come home with. One of them was Hagar. One of them was Lot. And he brought Lot out of Egypt, but folks, he never got Egypt out of Lot. And that's what led to the problem, is his disobedience to go down to Egypt and not trust God. But he built no altars in Egypt. But he was an altar builder. Now his son Isaac built a few altars, but what was Isaac better known for? He was a well digger. Isaac dug wells. God spoke to Isaac by the wells. Do you remember the stories about how the people of Canaan would come and fill the well up? And he wouldn't fight about it. He would move and dig another well. And they would come and fill the well up. And he would move and dig another well. And when they didn't fight him about the well water anymore, he said, we'll stay here. This is a good spot. And God used that in his life. So Abram was an altar builder. Isaac was a well digger. And both of those things are physical monuments. What about the empty tomb on this side of the cross? There's a monument. It's physical. If you don't believe that, why did God roll the stone away? Did Jesus in his new body need the stone moved away to get out? 
Seriously? Why did he drop the stone? Why did he move the stone? For us. So we could get in and see. It was empty. He did it for us. It was a monument. And God is all about monuments. Big ones, physical ones that we can see, and hidden monuments that are known to us. Known to us alone. And so where God had told Joshua to get them in and take the stones across corporately, and they did that, there's no mention of God telling Joshua to get those 12 stones and put them in the middle. No mention. Now, I feel confident that God moved in Joshua's heart to do that. But it's not recorded that way. Because it was a move, a private move, on his part as a memorial. Not only is it a monument, which is a physical reality, it's also a memorial, a mental reminder. It's not just a physical reality, it's a mental reminder. I want you to think about something. Claiming the inheritance in the promised land. I want you to get your mind around what it took to fight those battles from Jericho to Ai to fighting the five kings to the southern campaign to the northern campaign until there was peace in the land and he divvied up the land among the tribes. I want you to just think about the children of Israel fighting all these battles in the promised land. Now, what does that mean to you and me as we walk in abundant life? I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. When you actually cross over the Jordan, you're walking in the promised land. Here. Now. Does that mean we have no more battles? Against Satan? Against the world? Against our own flesh? No, of course not. We still have to fight, just like the children of Israel had to fight to claim the ground. But Joshua was promised, every place you set your foot, I will give you victory. Every place. And the provision for that power comes from the memorials and the remembrance of who's in charge. I want to say this to you. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, if we can, together. Let's all go to Romans chapter 6. I would have wrote all this down, but there was a lot of it. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, Paul talks to us about the reminder. Here's what he says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin... Listen, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. We should walk in newness of life. Skip over to verse 11, same chapter. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. Colossians 3.3 3 says, For you died, and your life, listen to this, is hidden with Christ and God. Just like those rocks are hidden in the bottom of that river, your life is hidden with Christ in God. We leave the old man in the river. We leave the old man in the river. Folks, we're saved from faith to faith. From faith in God, which is saving faith, to faith to walk, which is abundant life faith. We're saved from faith to faith. And part of that is this. We're saved from the penalty of sin because of substitution. Substitution. And the verse there is Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's substitution. Christ died for us. We're saved in faith in Christ alone. But we're also saved not from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin because of identification. Those are the two nickel words, okay? They're substitution and identification. Substitution, Romans 5, 8. Christ died for us. Identification, Galatians 2, 20. For I'm crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's identification. We're saved from the penalty by substitution. We're saved for the power by identification. We cross through the Red Sea by substitution. There was a lamb that died. And we were baptized with Christ. But we walk in His power after we cross the Jordan. Do you understand that the people that wandered 40 years unto their death never, one day ever, walked in the power of God? They walked out a death sentence because of their unfaithfulness. I can't tell you how many people are in church. I, I'm convicted of this every day. There are the folks that are lost, that are not accepting Jesus' substitutionary death. And there are the people that are saved, but are still in the wilderness. And you know, God loves them, and their shoe leather doesn't wear out, and He's good to them. And there's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And he feeds them with manna, the bread of life. But they're not walking out abundant life. They're not experiencing victory everywhere they place their feet. And it's because they have not identified with Christ in his death. They haven't left. I'm going to say it like this. They haven't left their pile of rocks on the bottom of the river yet. They have not gotten to the point in their lives where they can let it go 
and let God do it and left the rocks on the other side. They don't carry it over with them. They leave it in the river. Are you getting this yet? That's what's going on. So not only is it a physical reality, not only is it a mental reminder, it's also a spiritual... um, What was my word? Oh, I got a good word. Reinforcement. There's my third R. It's a spiritual reinforcement. I want you to listen to me. I talked to you a little bit about Caleb and walking out your victory in the promised land. I want to read to you, and it may take just a minute, but I think it's going to be worth the diversion. In Joshua, Joshua chapter 14, let's go there and read the account of Caleb as he asked for his land from his buddy Joshua. It's a great story. Before you get out and you have to, if you have a giant in your life, that you're up against and you're scared of it and it's been defeating you, you need to read this. You need to read Joshua 14. In verse 6 it says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely... The land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance. See, he walked all over this mountain with these giants. Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Not just Moses' word, not just my testimony, but the witness that I'm still here breathing on this side of the dirt. He has kept me alive as he said These 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in this wilderness. And now, here I am, this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Verse 12. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there. That's giants, folks. Those are the giants. Goliath of Gath was Anakim. And that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him, and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. That's how you walk out your abundant life and fight your battles. Because you know that the Lord will fight it for you. Because he said he would. And you have to have the faith. 
when they were leaving Egypt, God opened the Red Sea for them through the arm of Moses. And the sea opened up and then they went through. And then they went to this place and there was no water. And they grumbled against the Lord and they tested Him. And Moses went up from there and struck the rock. And water flowed forth. And they named that place Meribah because of the testing that they did to the Lord. They crossed through the Red Sea. This new generation crossed through the Jordan and they didn't have to wait till the Jordan was open and dry. He actually made them walk up to it and put their feet in it to open it up. So he's stretching them. He's testing them. He's taking them further than he took the previous generation. And the Jordan dries up and they go through. Guess what the Bible says about God in Malachi chapter 3. He says, I am the Lord. I changeth not. Do you know the same God that will test you after baptism will also test you when you cross over the Jordan? And they received a test. Do you know what it was? Circumcision. Now that wasn't the test. But he told a whole bunch of them, I want you to get circumcised. Now, on this side of the Jordan, where all your enemies are. Not on the other side, where it was safe. Now we've crossed through, just like your fathers crossed through the Red Sea, and they tested me. I want you to cross through, and I'm going to see if you test me again. Let's get circumcised. In Exodus 12, he had set up the Passover. And no uncircumcised male was supposed to partake of the Passover. From Kadesh Barnea, where they disobeyed, there was no more circumcision that went on in the new generation. They had a 40-year record of people, men being born, growing up, none of them were circumcised. He said, all right, we're going to have Passover. And we can't have Passover till you're circumcised. And now I'm going to make sure you get circumcised on the wrong side of the river, the dangerous side, where all the Canaanites are. And so he tested them. And they were sore. And they couldn't fight. Let me rephrase it. They were helpless. And they couldn't fight. And they had to trust completely in the Lord their God. Because he had them circumcised on the Canaan side of the river. Do you know what that represents? Taking the flesh and cutting it off in the promised land. When you walk in abundance, when you walk in abundant life, guess what you're not walking in? The flesh. He had them take it off. Guess what you're not taking around with you? All that stuff you left in the bottom of the river. Because you left rocks down there. Because those rocks symbolize you've been buried with Christ. Raised to walk in newness of life. And everything that I was in that old creation is dead. Behold, all things are made new. So not only was it a physical reminder... Not only was it a mental reminder, it was a spiritual reminder. And he tested them. Now I want to wrap up. I'm about to finish. 
I've got two or three places I want us to read by way of application as we talk about how to walk in newness of life. Because a lot of us are thinking, you know, I'm not some ancient Hebrew fighting against Goliath and his brothers as giants. My battles here are different. But the Bible tells us the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty unto, the God, unto God to the casting down of strongholds. Our weapons that we use today are not slings and spears and arrows and bows. They're spiritual weapons. They're prayer, fasting, the study of God's Word, and fellowshipping with each other. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of his friend. They're fellowshipping with a purpose to hold one another accountable. So I've got three or four scriptures for us to talk about by way of application as we leave. Let's start in Joshua because that's where we were. This is all about how to walk in newness of life. Joshua 1, verse 3. If you're underlining in your Bible, this is a good one. He says here, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. And if you swing on over to verses 8 and 9, same chapter, chapter 1, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. If you want to know how to have abundant life on this side of the Jordan, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Well, you know what? I can't do that. I'm not able to keep His Word. In my own strength, by my own self, I'm a miserable failure and I can't do it. And that's why I need Him. Because He's the only one that can keep His Word. And if He's not living in me, living His Word out through me, I can't do it. His Word points us to His Son. Because that's the only way we're going to do it, folks. It's through His Son. All right, just a couple more. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. Christian living. This is Christian living 101. 1 John chapter 5. Verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God, listen to me, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Because anywhere you place your foot, you have victory. Are you tying this together? What he said in Joshua, he's saying in John, any place you place your foot, you'll have victory. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So the acid test is, are you obedient? Are you doing what the Bible says you should do? And if you say, no, George, I'm, I'm messing up a lot. Well, are you living by spirit, empowered life? Or are you trying to do it on your own? Are you living in the wilderness or have you crossed over and buried those rocks in the river? And are you living a spirit-filled, powerful walk? Because if you're failing in your obedience, this should be an acid test to you that you're doing it on your own and you're not counting on Him to do it through you. Because He is the victory. Your faith in Him is the victory that overcomes the world. Last thing, and I'm done. In Hebrews chapter 12, by way of a motivation, here's motivation. Verse 1, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do it? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we lay aside the sin that besets us, that besetting sin, and we lay aside those weights. Because sometimes it's not a question of good and bad, it's a question of good and best. And maybe God wants best for you, but you're still hanging on to good. And you have to put good down to pick up best. And that's a weight. It's not a sin. It's just a weight. It's holding you back from being everything that God wants you to be. And that's how we live on this side of the Jordan River. So the question tonight, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you guys to make any public decisions. I just want you to think about something for me. There's three places you can be. You can still be in Egypt, a slave to a cruel pharaoh and a taskmaster, and you're not your own. You're a slave. Or you can recognize that Jesus is Lord and that through the shed blood, He's made complete atonement for you, but you've never trusted Him to live the life by faith. And you're still in the wilderness, folks. That's where that whole generation died. And you'll die there too. Because it's a hard place. It's not abundant life. Or you have crossed over the Jordan. You have walked through and you did leave that memorial in the bottom of that river. It's a personal memorial. Nobody else sees it. Nobody else knows. You're the only one that will ever know if those stones are in the bottom of that river. Because you put them there. And if you don't put your stones in the bottom of the river and leave them there, I can promise you, you're not walking abundantly on this side of the river. So think about that tonight. Pray about that this week. And see if there's anything that the Holy Spirit tells you about your walk. Let's pray. Mm. Father, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for this body of believers, Lord, this church. This manifestation of your bride right here in Powdersville. And Lord, my heart for these people, for all of us, for myself included, is that you would reveal to us 
any wicked way in our heart. That you would show us, Lord, are we living in our own sufficiency or are we living completely dependent on you? Lord, when we look at our obedience, would you show us against your law, your perfect mirror, if we're failing when we don't need to fail? Where's our faith, Father? Have we recognized we're dead to self and alive to Christ? That we're a new creature. Behold, all things are made new. Because, Lord, if we're not, I ask you to move mightily among this congregation. I ask you to bring conviction and application and conversion. Would you do this to the glory of your Son, who reigns forever? Amen.